Hey, glad you made it to Ascent, everyone. Uh, how's everybody doing? Summertime, we doing okay? You feeling it? Kind of. Okay. Uh, man, I, can I, I got to tell you something. Uh, you'll probably think less of me if that's possible. But um, I, <laughs> I was sitting here and uh, I told the early services this morning, I, you know, gosh, when we get a chance to sing together, it is, it's, those are like holy moments because it's like you're with other people. Where else do you get to do that in the culture? And especially to sing to God. And so I, that's, that's precious stuff. And I, I realized this morning, I was sitting there and Ross, you know, was up here singing today with us too. And uh, I realized that while he was singing, all I could think about was the fact that he and I are against each other this week in our fantasy baseball league and um that I'm so I wasn't thinking about like giving a message I wasn't thinking about like like praying I wasn't like none of that stuff I just was like I I really want to beat Ross this week how sad is that I have like competitive jerk in the world so (laughs) I got Kershaw going later today so I don't know man yeah (laughs) Anyway, welcome to a weird church. This is your first day. Uh, no, no we're, we're glad that you're here. My, my, my name's Jim, and I'm uh, one of the co-pastors here. Uh, Bill Stevens is uh, the other guy that he and I actually planted Ascent, started Ascent three and a half years ago. Bill's gone on vacation, uh, so we're filling in and uh, having a great time. So, uh, so welcome to Ascent. Uh, has anybody been on vacation yet? Raise your hand if you've been on vacation so far. Okay. Who has yet to go on vacation? There's some of you. Who has been on vacation and is going to go on vacation again? So, yeah, a few of you guys. Okay. Who, who thinks vacation can actually be harmful? I'm starting to wonder. I, I went on vacation and I just, I got back. And ever since I got back, I've just been kind of like, uh, yeah, can't wait to give a talk at Ascent this way. It's terrible, I know, but... I, lo- I love this church, I love this place, but it's like vacation's just fairy tale land, and it's just hard to re-enter sometimes, so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm doing my best. Um, but welcome to Ascent, and um, I do want to give you a little piece of news, or at least prep you on some news first. Um, we, uh, a lot of you guys know, we're under contract. Ascent, this is not our permanent home. Uh, like I said, we've been around three and a half years. We raised some money last fall, it's really cool to... Uh, hopefully build a new home, a church home, permanent church home. And so we started that process. Uh, we're actually under contract on a piece of property. It's so cool. Out at 96th and Dillon Road, it's 13 acres. It's going to be an incredible future home for Ascent. Except we are in a due diligence process where we look to see, does that land actually work for us? And a lot of you know in about two or three weeks, that due diligence period ends. And so we have this window to decide whether or not we want to pursue the land or not. And there's some issues with it. If you've been around, you know some of the things that we're worried about, you know, that we're trying to work through. Um, what I want to do is I'm going to ask you this. First, would you please pray? This is actually an important week for that. We've got a lot coming to a head. This week is key for that. And so I want to ask you to pray this week. It, even starting tomorrow morning, uh, there's stuff going on that will, could determine whether or not we pursue that. So uh, pray this week. My optimism index is about right here. Still, so it's not down, it's not up, it's not in the middle. It's a little bit up, up, you know, above, above middle. Um, so we still feel optimistic, but there's some major hurdles. Would you pray for that? And then here's what I'm going to do next week. Um, before uh, the sermon next week, I'm going to give you a little 
glimpse into what's going on, a little bit more of an unpacked detail on our building stuff. So, but in the meantime, please pray, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. And uh, I'm just hoping we got good news each time we're together. So, all right. That said, let's let's dive into some stuff. Uh, we've been we've been working. Uh, this is only the second week of the series where we're talking about. These are a few of my favorite things. When I say that, who here knows what that's a reference to? Okay, you've seen The Sound of Music? Okay, okay. Because um, it's interesting, like I know some people haven't seen it, and um, I've been made fun of a little bit because this series was my idea, this little term, and you know, it sounds a little old school. But I, it's interesting, for those of you, just a side note, if, if you're trying to introduce someone to The Sound of Music, the actual musical and movie, do not do it when they're young boys, okay? So we, my wife and I made the mistake of showing our two kids the sound of music. And movie night's like a big deal. We don't do movies every night around our house. So movie night's like a big deal. So they watched the sound of music. And at the end of the sound of music, they literally cried. And I was like, man, they're really into this. They loved it. They loved how this ended up. And I said, guys, what's making you cry? And they're like, we hated it. You know, like, we just wasted our movie night on that, you know. So, bad idea to show little boy, you know, younger boys the sound of music. This is like two years ago when they were, you know, still in elementary school. But, uh, so, but these are a few of my favorite things. That's the title of this. What we're doing is this. We're looking at Jesus' words. We're looking at what Jesus loved to talk about. What were Jesus' favorite topics Let's unpack those and, and figure out why did he talk about things with such frequency, certain things. Some things more than you'd think. So, perfect example, last week, Chris Sturgeon kicked off the series. I, I had no idea. I was so interested to hear the idea. He talked about, uh, Jesus talked about money. Jesus actually talked about money four times as much as he talked about prayer. Who, really? So, why is that? So we want to dive into what are the words of Jesus, what were his favorite things to talk about, what did he return to over and over again, and why does that matter? Because the things we care about, we talk about. Jesus is no different. So, so that's what we're doing. So here's what I want to do. I want to start with a little, um, little experience. What I'd love for you to do is, for the next like minute or so, I'm going to get a little awkward, but that's okay. For the next minute or so, I want you just to sit and think. You can sit and think, you can jot something down, put it in your phone. But here's the question. You look at the Bible, the question is, what is the gospel? You heard that word. I'm not talking gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are gospels. Those are accounts of Jesus' life written by different authors. What is the gospel? That word means good news. If you looked at the scripture, it talks about the gospel continually. What is your definition? A friend asks you, hey, I heard this word gospel, what's that mean? What's your definition that you would say in your own language? Well, the gospel means this. All right, take a minute, do that. Could get awkward, but we're going to be silent here for about a minute. Go ahead and think, write down whatever you want to do. Here we go.
Awkward yet? Ever. No? All right. What do you think? I'll bet you, if I had you text me a sentence and we put them up on the screen, I'll bet you there'd be like as many different answers as there were people in this room. It's not a very easy question. In some ways, the gospel isn't just totally clearly defined in the scripture, although maybe there's some clues and maybe it's a little different than what we might think it is. The first time I ever heard from somebody, what is the gospel, it was explained to me by, it was in high school, kind of a youth pastor type guy, and he actually had a little booklet that he kind of talked to me through with it. And if I had to um, summarize the words that he used in this, you know, little booklet that he used was probably something like this. Here, here was the gospel. Jesus, Jesus, oops, wrong word. Jesus loves me and died for me. Is that reasonable? Not a, not a bad not a bad definition of the gospel. Here's here's what I want to kind of throw at you today. And um, man, if you think I'm wrong, I'm so open to have you buy me lunch and talk about it. I I love that. Um, but but I want us to talk through this because. I actually think this is part of what the Bible teaches is the gospel, what Jesus spoke to about the gospel. This is part of it. I'm not convinced that this is the center of the gospel as Jesus taught it. And I want to even kind of argue with you today a little bit, just throw out there, make you think that, you know what, maybe, just maybe, if this is the extent of our definition of what the good news is, the gospel is, there might even be a little danger inherent in this. Here, here's what I think. You, you look at this, uh, Jesus loves me and Jesus died for me. I think it's possible that I show up twice in this idea. In fact, one of the main characters, the big character in this, turns out, is me. And I think some of the danger, potentially, of making this your kind of gospel statement is that if this little circle represents what the good news of the Bible is, there is a danger that I end up in the center of it. That I become kind of the central character to what the gospel is. Um, I have a friend and huge mentor, guy who's amazing. If you've never read or heard John Ortberg speak, uh, you really, you should check out his book. The guy's just genius and an amazing guy. Uh, and and he, he kind of said something once that just made me go, huh. He said, you know what, sometimes our definition of what God is doing in the world can be limited and put ourselves in the middle of it. And what ends up happening potentially is we end up becoming kind of focused on ourselves and where we might be heading. We're all going to die. And so there's a question about like, well, 
man, when I die, I'd sure love to be with God forever. And so part of what, and this was his phrase that he used, part of what can happen to us as human beings is we can become concerned and obsessed with the minimum entrance requirements to heaven. In fact, John would say there are probably millions of Christians today who are sitting at church just like we are who are thinking, what are the minimum entrance requirements to heaven? What do I got to know? What do I got to say? What do I got to do? Anybody here like a high schooler or have a high schooler or a grandkid that's like worried about college? You know the minimum entrance requirements matter. You're looking at school. What do I got on an SAT? What do I got my grade point average? What kind of extracurricular I got to do, right? Minimum entrance requirements matter. But when it comes to our faith in Jesus, when it comes to what it means to be a Christian, could it be that there's like millions of Christians who are worried specifically about what are the minimum entrance requirements? And does it come because we have a truncated view of what the gospel is and therefore a view of ourselves? Uh, it's so, okay, I, Sound of Music's an old movie, but this, uh, can I just throw another old movie to you? I, I, um, I was talking to Chris Lagadros, our middle school guy, this week, and I said, Chris, tell me the truth. If, if I play a clip from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> how much credibility will I lose? W- will I lose credibility from people under the age of 30? And he just goes, 35. You know? <laughs> Shoot, Okay. I'm taking a risk here. Um, I'm playing it anyway. So if you haven't seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which a lot of you haven't, there is, uh, it's, it's King Arthur, Sir Lancelot, all these guys, and they're out and they're looking for the Holy Grail. And they come to a bridge that they have to cross. A lot of you know this scene. They come to a bridge that they have to cross, and there's a gatekeeper to the bridge. And if they don't answer correct on the questions, there's big trouble for them. It's life ends. And so just to give you a little sense, here's a scene from Monty Python. Go ahead. Stop! Who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Ere the other side he see. Ask me the questions, Bridgekeeper. I am not afraid. What is your name? My name is Sir Lancelot of Camelot. What? Is your quest to seek the Holy Grail? What is your favorite color? Blue. Right, off you go. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's easy! Stop! Who approacheth the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Uh, the other side he sees. Ask me the questions, Bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. What is your name? Sir Robin of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is the capital of Assyria? I don't know that. Oh, my gosh. So is that like, uh, yeah, all right, thank you. All the 40 and 50-year-olds are like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that what's waiting for us? Are we, are we, when we die, is that what's ahead? We go to some little gate and there's a guy there 
and they're going to ask us some questions about our church attendance and how, how nice have we been and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we either get shipped off or they go, oh, yeah, come on through. It, is it about the minimum entrance requirements? Hey, I'm telling you, can you see why people who, um, who maybe don't have a background in the faith or look at what we believe and think that's crazy? It's because we have a wrong picture of who Jesus is and what, and I would say part of it stems back to what is the gospel. It's not about minimum entrance requirements. It's not about putting ourselves in the center of this. There's something grander that's going on that goes beyond us. And as you, I think you'll see in a second, thank God. Now, the church has been a problem with this. Not just, not just uh, I mean, we're part of the problem. Sent has been part of the problem, I think. This is the first sermon on what I'm about to preach today that we've done in three and a half years. And the topic that we're going to talk about is probably one I'm guessing a lot of you never heard of before or never, never uh, heard in a church before, for those of you who've been around. You may have gone through your whole life not heard this. You know, Bill and I, um, we look at uh, Christmas and Easter as really important days, obviously, why? Because a lot of people come to church on those days that will come once or twice a year. And Bill and I kind of switch off every year. If you wonder how we do that, we switch off every year on who gets to preach those days. And, but we've, we've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about what we're going to preach. Not like a normal Sunday where I just made this up on the car right here, you know. So um, <laughs> just kidding. Gosh, some of you were like, well, really? Um, <laughs> No, we think a lot about what do we want to do, do with those services. And honestly, you know, people that come in, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but what we do is we want to make sure that they understand the core of this message, that God loves them and that Jesus has died for them. But is it possible that somehow we are doing this, creating an environment where it can become about me and the focus becomes on me and therefore now I'm thinking about how do I get beyond this life where I want to go in the next. And it becomes about minimum entrance requirements. Okay. What did Jesus really teach about the gospel? Let me walk you through some stuff and I throw this at you. And let's, let's look at the teaching of Jesus and say is there something here to this? Okay, I want to start in, in the book of Mark. And, and what, what we want to do with this, I want you to realize to you uh, something key about um, the way the gospel writers wrote the gospels. Often, when they would write a gospel, they would start, and Jesus' first kind of public act that he did, first thing Jesus does, is often a theme that you're going to see mentioned over and over again throughout that gospel. And you, you'll see this. And, and so I want you to see what's the first thing, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the book of Mark, because he's going to set his theme. Just like we write papers or whatever, you do the same thing. You start with something that's most important that you're going to set the entire course of the gospel. That's what Mark's doing. Look at Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Later on, after John was arrested... Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news, the gospel. He's, he's preaching the gospel. The time promised by God, this is Jesus' words now. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom 
of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. He's preaching the good news. The kingdom of God. All right, look, look at the beginning of Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse uh, 17. From then on, again, some of the first words out of Jesus' mouth. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God. For what? The kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. These are interchangeable terms. The kingdom of heaven is near. Fast forward six verses to Matthew four twenty-three. This is what it says. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news, the gospel about what? The kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When Jesus taught his guys, his group of followers, his disciples, he taught them like no one has ever taught a group of people before. He invested in them. And so finally, when Jesus is ready, I've taught you guys, I've trained you up, I'm ready to send you out. This is the first time Jesus sends them out on their own. What does he send them out to do? Look at Luke chapter 9. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about what? The kingdom of God and to heal the sick. When Jesus dies, Jesus comes back to life. He has some precious moments with his followers. Imagine if you're one of these guys and you're getting this moment with Jesus. You can ask him anything you want and you know the time is limited. You're probably confused about what's been going on because you weren't expecting him to die and here he is back to life. You've got a chance now to talk to him. What are you going to talk to him about? Look at what the disciples asked him in Acts chapter 1 when the risen Jesus is talking to them. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, which tells me repeatedly, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore what? The kingdom? Guys, when Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, when you read some of those letters, Galatians, that's a letter he wrote to Galatia, Ephesus, a letter he wrote to the town of Ephesus, Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Now, at the end of his life, we think, we know he's in Rome. Our best guess is he actually died in Rome. He lived in Rome. And so Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, has the chance to summarize at the end what, what was Paul doing? What was his message about? Look what Luke chooses to do with this. Acts 28, verse 30 and 31. For the next two years, these are the last words of Acts. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him boldly proclaiming what? The kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him until we think Nero killed him, but that's a different story. So that's the end of the book of Acts written by Luke. Guys, over and over again, when you read the Gospels, read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Over and over again, you see the Gospel equated to this idea of the kingdom of God. So much so that almost every scholar who reads the Bible now will say the central message of Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God, mentioned 63 times. You think, about, uh, you think about his parables. How did Jesus start many of his parables? He doesn't just start telling a story. He says the kingdom of God is like this field, this bread, this seed, 
this person. That's how Jesus introduces us to the kingdom of God, and he does it continually. Guys, there's no doubt this is one of his favorite things to talk about. How have we missed this? Have you heard this talked about? I guarantee you, we've all heard this. But where does this fit into this bigger narrative that Jesus is painting about what the gospel, what the good news is, the kingdom of God? And by the way, what in the world is it? If we're going to, you know, talk about that, man, that would be an interesting exercise. All of us could text up on the screen what our definition of the kingdom of God is. That would really be all over the map. Do we know what that is, and how does it matter for us? What is the kingdom of God anyway, if this was so important to Jesus? Um, I'm going to give you, here's, here's a little definition of what the kingdom of God is, but I, the first thing I'm going to do, oh shoot, I've got the wrong screen up. The, the first thing I'm going to do is, um, I, I want to give you, uh, there's a guy named Dallas Willard, phenomenal theologian, died a few years ago, probably uh, as good a smart a guy as there was alive in the last hundred years, amazing thinker. And one of the things that was a gift that he did for us before he died was he uh, actually wrote a lot of definitions about different theological concepts that you can, okay, oh, here's, here's an idea. Now, he gets, sometimes he gets a little heady, so I'm going to give you his uh, version of it, and then I'll give you the Jim, my brain level version of it. Um, but, but here's what Dallas, here's how Dallas defines the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God reigning. Not reigning like he's king. He's in control. He's in, he, he's powerful. For, um, for a lot of us, and I don't know, maybe there's some native UK people here this morning. Uh, a lot of us, this is a hard concept for us to get our minds around if we've grown up in the United States. We don't, we don't live in a monarchy, obviously. So I- if you look at this, it's hard for us to totally relate to this concept of God being king and what that might mean for us. But this is the definition. The kingdom of God is God reigning. It is present wherever what God wants done is done. And this, this is his headier phrase. It is the range of God's effective will. So God wants something done. It happens. That is a sign of the kingdom of God. Here's my little definition of the kingdom of God. Basically this, what God says, what God says goes. Man, if God wants it, and it happens, that's a sign of the kingdom of God. And guys, let's just stop for a second. This is huge for how we see the world. Jesus came to give us a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. Man, you read the Gospels God, love. You read those stories about him, the people he loved, the people he healed, the people he hung out with that nobody else would, the ways he set things right, that is God's effective will being brought into the present. Jesus refers to the kingdom of God and everything God wants done happening in the future for sure. In fact, 
I don't have to tell you, you know. It's not going to happen until a later date, much later date, when we're all gone. Heaven is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is breaking through now. And you see that kicked off by the life of Jesus. Guys, think about how he taught us to pray. What does he say? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, then what? Thy will be done. I've always kind of seen it, because, you know, we put a comma there. Thy kingdom come, comma, thy will be done. Oh, those are two nice, different ideas. No, they're not. Thy kingdom come means thy will be done. What God says goes. Guys, this is much better news than this. This means that the kingdom, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, every time any of those things are breaking through in our world, any time anything good happens, the kingdom of God is breaking through. And Jesus is saying, that is the good news, that I'm kicking that off. Guys, this is a definition of the gospel that doesn't have me in the center of it. This is a definition of the gospel that puts the kingdom of God in the center of what is good news. And oh, by the way, I'm part of that too. Jesus loves me and died for me? Absolutely. It's a subset, our math people here, it's a subset of the greater picture of the good news of the gospel. Don't make the subset the reverse, okay? Understand that we are a subset of this greater picture of what God wants to do in the world and is breaking through even now. Guys, minimum entrance requirements. How dull is that? Compared to the idea of what your life could be if you are called to be an agent of seeing this breakthrough in the world now. Think about it this way. Anybody seen any movies this summer yet? Gone to a movie? You seen Spider-Man? All right. Uh, I saw Cars 3. Despicable uh, Me 3. Um, I can't remember. There's another one, good one this summer that I want to see. But all those movies pale in comparison to Star Wars. And um, I'm telling you, dude, I, my heart, like right now, my heart's beating fast. Um, when, when, when my boys, you know, they're on their phones and... Dad, when they say this to me, this is so cool. I I just, oh. When they come to me and say, Dad, there's a new trailer for Star Wars. I feel something, you know? Like, come on. So I'm like, bring me the iPad. So the iPad comes. We all sit on the couch. Some of you do this. Like, we pull up the trailer, and we just start watching, and I like, uh, oh, it's like two minutes of joy watching that trailer for the new Star Wars movie. And I'm like this the whole time. And you guys know how to, the, is there anybody in here who's relating to, do you know what I'm talking about? The Kings, yes. All right, I got a couple. Yeah, Scott. So I'm watching the Star Wars trailer, and I'm watching every frame. I'm like, oh, dude, who's that character? Oh, my gosh, what's, that looks like a new X-Winger, you know, like. I'm going down that thing, and then what do we do? We end the trailer, and what do you think we do next? 
we play it again. So we go back to the beginning. We watch it a second time. Usually we'll watch it like twice in normal, you know, whatever uh, motion. And then we're like, let's break it down in slow-mo. So we go back, and there's like certain parts where you're like, I've got to see that again. Well, okay, we'll freeze a frame. Who do you think that guy is? Oh, my gosh, what's that, you know? Look at that little Adat Walker thing. It's so, I love movie trailers. Why? Movie trailers give you a vision of the future awesomeness that is coming. What if, instead of our lives being about minimum entrance requirements to heaven, (sighs) yawn. What if our lives were about being a movie trailer? Your life is about a trailer, a vision that you're giving to somebody else, that I'm giving to somebody else, saying that's what the future looks like. Man, the kingdom of God is coming. And every stinking time you guys bring a can of food in here and give it to Sister Carmen, or you bring toys in here and give it to kids up and down the front range through the Louisville, the police department. I'm telling you, that is a movie trailer to the future. The kingdom of God that is a future reality is breaking through right now. You love somebody, you forgive somebody who wronged you, who stabbed you in the back. You have the humility to go to that person and say, let's talk through this. And somehow you come to forgiveness, whether that's a family member or a friend and somehow there's reconciliation, I'm telling you, that is a vision of the future. That is a vision of the kingdom of God, that your life has become a movie trailer in the present for something that is in the future. You make somebody laugh today who is down and out and hurting. That's not just a random moment. That is a picture of the future breaking through in the present. Your life has become a movie trailer man, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of life I want to get called to. I do not, again, don't get me wrong, key to the gospel story, our role in it, who we are, the fact that Jesus loves us. Mm. Man, yes. But there's a bigger picture. And we are actually called to be subjects to the king in a big, grand, old narrative that goes way, 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 way beyond my little life. Aren't you glad? So here's what I'm going to do. Lots fun to talk about. What does that look like? What What does it mean to be a subject in a new kingdom? And what I want to do next week is we're going to start unpacking that a little bit of what does it mean, a little two-parter, what does it mean to live into the kingdom as somebody called to be a subject to the king where what God says goes. So God, we want to lift that to you. Thanks for uh, the beauty of Jesus teaching his life that he set this in motion that death is dead Death has no sting in the end because your kingdom wins in the end. God, would you uh, help us today to understand our role in that? Help me, God, when I'm focused on me, to understand that I'm part of a much bigger story. So God, thank you that you have placed your church on this place, this city, in order to be an ambassador for your kingdom. Let us do it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. 
Amen.